the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer. Also on podcasts and Facebook Live. Check us out on YouTube as well. So today, we're going to be talking about some Texas or federal law that seems to need some explaining. But first, have to tell you that I'm licensed to practice law by the State Bar of Texas, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information you learn today should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. New businesses and old businesses which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning like in probate court, county court, and district court. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, or failing to follow your will. Please help Dr. Jason Schillerstrom, Cheryl Mays, and me give good information about incapacity and guardianship today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. So today we're talking about uh, the phases of guardianship. Someone asked me to talk about the phases of guardianship, and one of the first phases is to determine whether someone's incapacitated. So Dr. Schillerstrom is a geriatric psychiatrist at UT Health San Antonio, Long School of Medicine. He directs the Psychiatry Residency Training Program, which has about 80 doctors in training. Dr. Schillerstrom has an outpatient geriatric psychiatry teaching clinic at UT Health. He also assists local and regional courts by providing capacity assessments in adult guardianship cases and does medical records reviews for contested wills. So, Dr. Schillerstrom, tell us, uh, of those things I mentioned, what do you do the most of? I run the residency program. Okay. Probably more than half of my time is uh, training future psychiatrists. And what is that like? Uh, It's busy. (laughs) (laughs) So we have about uh, 80, 80 residents here at UT Health San Antonio. Um, we uh, about half of them are active duty Air Force captains. So if you ever wondered where the Air Force gets their psychiatrists from, they get them from us. They get them from UT Health San Antonio. Okay. And then the other half are civilians that are destined to serve San Antonio and South Texas. 
Okay. And so what is a residency program? How does it work? Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, so to become a physician, uh, you have an undergraduate degree, and then you go to medical school. Medical school is four years long. And after and during medical school, you decide what kind of doctor you want to be, a pediatrician, perhaps a psychiatrist. And then after you graduate medical school, you do residency. And for psychiatry, it's uh, four years, four years of, extra, of training beyond, uh, beyond medical school. And then, uh, and then you take the board exam, and then you're a psychiatrist. What is the training like? Is it like, do they work in your, your clinic? Oh, yeah. They, uh, I mean, our, our big teaching partners are University Hospital, uh, the VA system, and Brook Army Medical Center. Um, we also train out at UTSA. We have an abundance of UT clinics. Um, so it's a mix of inpatient, outpatient, consults. And, uh, yeah, to answer your questions, uh, re- your question, residents will uh, work with me in my geriatric psychiatry clinic as a part of their training. So they work as psychiatrists under the supervision of you and other staff or and just a, you? And a lot of other faculty. Oh, yep. okay. We have a, a big faculty for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And just to get some other background on you, where are you from? I'm from Saxe, Texas. And so where's that? The, it's the northeast, the most northeast tip of Dallas County. Oh, okay. Dallas County. So if you grew up in Saxe, Texas, then people from Garland felt bad for you, so they would bus you into their schools. And so oh, okay. I grew up in the Garland Independent School District, and um, yeah, UT Austin for undergrad with a degree in zoology, came here for medical school at UT Health San Antonio, did my residency here at UT Health, and then did a, an, an, an additional year of fellowship in geriatric psychiatry at UT Health, and then... I've been on faculty at UT Health since uh, 2005. You decided not to go back to Saxe? Nah, I didn't. <laughs> I, I like South Texas suits me better than North Texas. So, okay. Yeah. Great. Good, good barbecue, good Mexican food. <laughs> what do you do for fun when you're not uh, helping people with their problems? Yeah. <laughs> I chase my kids around. So, uh, yeah. so my wife's a child psychiatrist. And uh, the two of us, we have four, four children, and so I chase them around, and um, probably, uh, uh, probably maybe the most fun is watching my kids play sports, and then uh, my oldest daughter and I, we go to a lot of concerts together, and that's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Like uh, pop music or uh, classical not classical. <laughs> we uh, we alternate picking, and lately we're on we're on like an '80s '90s bend. So uh, a, a week or two ago we saw New Order, and uh, in a week or two we're going to see Depeche Mode. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I took Chris out to uh, the the what's it called the four way stop by Medina Lake, mm-hmm. we saw John Michael Montgomery. Uh-huh. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, Tracy and I, we get our fill of Texas music at Floors Country Store for okay, sure. Okay. Yeah, cool. absolutely. <laughs> All right. So we got some background on you. Mm-hmm. Cheryl, tell us a little bit about yourself. This is your second appearance on the show, but we might have new listeners today. So I have been a paralegal for about 20 years. I uh, graduated from UTSA with a bachelor's in liberal arts and communications, and then went on to get my master's in management and leadership. Um, But my passion has always been in probate law, so I've stuck very closely with attorneys in the probate community here in San Antonio. Um, I feel like it's a way that I can advocate for our community, and especially those with uh, disabilities and um, the elderly that need a lot of support. Great. Thanks for being on the show, both of you. So we're going to be talking about incapacity and guardianship. And before we go to a break, I wanted to introduce um, one of the main reasons all of this whole process is important is because the U.S. Constitution guarantees us freedom and liberty. And uh, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution in part says that the federal government cannot deprive any of us of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so there's a guardianship process 
where some of those liberties are removed because of uh, incapacity. And so that's a, a lot to consider when you're going through the guardianship process. That's why you have to jump through so many hoops, right? There's a lot. There's a lot, and uh, there's a medical opinion involved, and that's why Dr. Schollerstrom's here. So stay tuned because we're going to be talking about all the specifics about how somebody is determined to be incapacitated or incompetent to make their own decisions. And then uh, Cheryl will be telling us a little bit later about some tips for being a good steward of somebody's finances. So stay tuned. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, also on podcasts and Facebook Live. Next, look for us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel so that you can watch short clips of the show whenever it's convenient for you. We've been talking about incapacity and guardianship here with Dr. Jason Schullerstrom and paralegal Cheryl Mays. Dr. Schollerstrom, tell us uh, from a physician's point of view, uh, is there any difference between the word incapacity and the word incompetent? Uh, yes. So, um, so physicians are taught that competency is determined by a judge. It's up to a judge, and only a judge can render a person incompetent. Capacity refers more to the, you know, the biological processes that mediate, you know, decision-making ability. So capacity is, you know, all of the, you know, the medical processes going on and, and the way you think that inform your decision-making. So a person can be incapacitated but still found competent, for example. Okay. And... So when would a specialist be needed? Is this something that uh, general practice MD can determine based on their education and training? Or is a specialist like a psychiatrist or a neurologist needed for that? Yeah, by Texas law, any physician can uh, make a, uh, an opinion about a person's capacity. Um, any physician um, and so specialists are often called when, uh, you know, the primary care doctor might not be comfortable making that decision. They might feel like they don't have the right training. They might feel that their, you know, their relationship with their patient um, makes it inappropriate, perhaps, for them to, to make a decision like that. And so then specialists are called, um, you know, in a way as consultants to, to help settle the issue. Okay. And so you're a psychiatrist. How does that specialty um, frame or or provide a, a different lens for you as like opposed to a neurologist? Yeah, good question. So psychiatrists are mental status exam experts. That's what we are, right? We are, we're experts in the mental status exam. Uh, we're experts in mental illness like schizophrenia, bipolar, depression. Uh, in geriatric psychiatry, we're also experts in dementia and the mental status exam of a person with dementia. Um, uh, neurologists also work with a lot of patients with uh, dementia. At UT Health, our Biggs Institute is a dementia specialty clinic. Um, uh, 
that all being said, I can tell you in the hospital, whenever there's a capacity question, it's psychiatrists who are called upon. Okay. And and just being a geriatric psychiatrist means that that's the population you focus on. Yeah, that's the population I focus on. Probably the, the average age of my patients is about 76, 77 years old. Uh, about two-thirds of them have depression, anxiety, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about a third of them have some type of dementia. I was reading somebody who who wrote that uh, a, an older person with dementia sort of exhibits some of the same behaviors as somebody who has been diagnosed with dementia. As with what? As with so, somebody with uh, depression. With depression? Exhibits the same behaviors as somebody with dementia. It can. It can. There can be overlap. Um, so, I mean, the biggest, the biggest modifiable risk factor for dementia is depression. So if you want to prevent dementia, prevent depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And there's different kinds of dementias, though, too. Yeah, that's right. So dementia, really all dementia means is that someone has cognitive decline. Their memory, their executive function, other cognitions are declining, are impaired. Uh, It means that uh, they have functional impairment. They're not able to take care of themselves in the same way they used to. And the reason for the impaired self-care is because of the cognitive impairment. But there's a lot of ways to be to have dementia, right? So people can have Alzheimer's dementia, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's, Huntington's. Um, so dementia is the big diagnostic category, but there's a thousand ways to be demented. <laughs> okay. And from uh, a layperson uh, point of view, sometimes that's um, forgetfulness or sometimes it's um, just... Um, the inability to make correct decisions? Yeah, um, so so decision-making certainly enters into it. From a layperson's point of view, in cases of, um, so like Alzheimer's disease, memory is definitely the most apparent, right? Uh, memory impairment is definitely the most apparent, the most notable. But there's other dementias too. And so, so really when people can no longer problem solve, right? When they can't figure things out, when they can't uh, solve problems that are independent from their habits and their routines. They're trapped by their routines. Uh, That's when, uh, you know, that's when we become most concerned about dementia. You know, I, I think that sometimes family members are too close to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, my, My mom's mom, Later, we found out that she had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. But, you know, before she was diagnosed, we really didn't know what Mm -hmm. to call it. But uh, one time, she was going to write a letter to my aunt. And um, I I just happened to be there, and her and my mom were talking about her writing this letter. And she kept saying, well, what do you want me to write? Mm -hmm. And... And my mom would say, well, you know, you're going to write her a letter telling her about what you want to have done, you know, in your final days or whatever. And she kept saying, what do you want me to write? Yeah. You know, she couldn't make that connection. And that's when I sort of realized that something was not right. Yeah. Yeah. Subtle things. So Alzheimer's, it it creeps up on people, right? Probably Mm -hmm. probably another similar example might be when... um, uh, when families take their loved ones to a restaurant, right? It's a new restaurant, and the elders presented a menu, for example, and they just can't make it through the menu, and and they essentially say, uh, you know, they tell the waiter, waitress, I'll 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 have what my daughter's having, mm-hmm. right? And so they're just not able to make even they're just overwhelmed by new information. Cheryl, can you think of an example of something that? is observable by a a lay person? So I know for myself, whenever I go to the grocery store and I see an elderly person walking around kind of looking aimlessly or lost, um, I make it a point to go up to them and say, can I help you? Um, Also being 
at the bank. We always looked for red flags of people being brought in under a bad influence um, to change their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. It's easy to exploit somebody that still has the whereabouts to know where they're going, but not the purpose of what they're there for. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about some of your experience uh, when you worked for a trust department at yes. the bank. Yes. So you haven't always been in private practice. You you worked for uh, a bank trust department at one time. So yes. you have that experience as well. Okay. Good. Yeah, that helps answer some of those fine differences between the different dementias and... Um, uh, the difference between memory loss and problem-solving skills. Um, how about, like, organic causes? Is that where, like, uh, somebody's uh, born with a developmental disability? Yeah, so historically in medicine, um, brain disease, if you will, is distinguished, you know, organic versus more functional. And so usually we think of organic causes maybe as being like a stroke, some sort of brain lesion, a tumor, um, you know, something like that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of mental illness. There's a lot of dementia where, uh, you know, you can take an image of their brain, you can take an MRI of their brain, and their brain doesn't look any different from anybody else's. So that would be things like schizophrenia. Um, intellectual disabilities, like you're describing, mm -hmm. um, you know those sorts of those sorts of illnesses. And so, with specifically with somebody who has an intellectual disability, do they do the same testing to to find out what their limitations are, or or at least uh, how to describe it? Uh, yeah, they commonly have, you know, IQ testing. You know, a lot of times that's done through the school system, that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, so a group of, you know, normally I, I do capacity assessments for elders. By and, by and large, it's elders. But it's also very common. It's common for me to do capacity assessments for families who have a, you know, an, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old who's about to be a legal adult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, their child has an intellectual disability or autism or something like that, and the family wants to be able to continue to, to care for their child and be responsible for them and make sure that they're safe. And so, so I'll do capacity uh, assessments for those, uh, for those patients as well. And you've probably run across a patient or two before that sort of had those two things combined, an intellectual disability and maybe some dementia or alzheimer's or is is that a possibility oh sure yeah um probably where we'll, you know where i might see that commonly might be with um you know persons with autism for example where they will have lived with their parent for for i mean not just years but decades in fact mm -hmm. and 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 they grow to be old and and then their parent dies and then they're kind of left alone in the world to figure things out and and they just can't and so um so yeah we'll we'll definitely see that as well and some some of the symptoms um that a person might exhibit with uh those types of disabilities uh, does it ever get better or worse with with treatment? Um, so people can be incapacitated from um, from things that are treatable, right? So you can be incapacitated from depression, and depression is treatable. Uh, you can be incapacitated from psychosis, and that is treatable. Um, so the answer is yeah. You you know a person can have a reversible incapacity. Will you say more about psychosis? What is that? Uh, psychosis is you know it's it's uh, essentially it's hallucinations or delusions, right? So hallucinations might be hearing voices that aren't there, seeing things that aren't there. Um, delusions are having you know fixed false beliefs. You know believing that. You know, uh, you know, sort of it can be paranoid beliefs, for example, thinking that people are in your attic trying to poison you, just, mm -hmm. you know, bizarre things like that. Okay. Uh, and so those symptoms are seen in patients with schizophrenia or bipolar or depression disorders, um, and they are treatable.
Okay. Do mm-hmm. you see dementia caused by like alcoholism or drug abuse? Yes. <laughs> yes. How does that work? Yes, we do see it. I mean, we do see people who have just a lifetime history of heavy alcohol use where uh, the ner- the nerves, the neurons in their brain just don't work like they used to, and they're not able to care for themselves anymore because of that, e- even after they've stopped drinking, in fact. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we have to take a break. That's a good question, Cheryl. Uh, and when we return, we'll be talking more about incapacity and guardianship, including Cheryl's top 10 tips on how to be a good steward of financial resources and how to account for it when you have to provide an accounting to a judge or to the beneficiaries. Stay tuned. God started with one law, don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Then God gave us Ten Commandments. Now we have city, state, and national legislators who won't stop making new laws. So I'm here to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer, and we're talking with Dr. Jason Schillerstrom and paralegal Cheryl Mays about incapacity and guardianship. And this is our third segment, so you know I like to talk about sinners and saints. Jason, you mentioned 90s music. You remember <laughs> yes. that song? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it we can't air on this station, but that part of the song we could. Um, So I I promised the audience that we would talk about uh, financial accounting and tips. And so, uh, Cheryl, you've been working in guardianships for 20 years, Mm -hmm. and uh, you developed a skill uh, to help people account for how they spent their money. Tell us a little bit about what that requirement and satisfying that requirement is like. So when you are appointed guardian of the estate, it is your responsibility to marshal all of the assets belonging to the ward and take care of them under court supervision. And so throughout that process, um, you will have to change the ownership of the bank accounts, get with investment companies and make sure that they're still being um, invested properly and reporting properly. And then at the end of that year, you have 60 days to file a formal accounting with the court and have it approved by their auditor. And we recommend that this is not something that you do on your own because it's not like you're accounting for your taxes. Um, You really have to go line by line and make a definite um, description of what that, who it was going to and what it was for and prove that it was for the ward's benefit and not your own. So the ward is the person that's under guardianship. Yes. The guardian is the person that has to account for the finances. Yes. Okay. And so they have 60 days to do that at the end of the year. So is it easy enough to do in 60 days? It really depends on the size of the estate. If you have one checking and one savings and say, a house, yes, it's very easy to do. Um, but we are seeing with higher wealth that it takes a little longer, and that's why um, it's very important to work with an attorney during the process so that they can guide you um, because they are looking for certain things that you need to bring to them to get it done. So sometimes we can file an extension on the annual account, but we try very hard um, to get it as close to that deadline as possible. What are some things a person can do throughout the year to make it easier at the end? So when you get those monthly bank statements, be organized and keep them in a filing system. Make notes on them. If something's not clear on the bank statements, tell me what this purpose was. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... 
you know, just don't go spending the money willy-nilly and not have any record of it. Well, they're supposed to have a monthly allowance that's approved by the court and certain expenditures that are already pre-approved, like for housing or assisted living or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to ask for special permission if you go outside of that. Um, But in any, any case, you should have a reason for it. Absolutely. There are certain things that the court allows you to pay for without permission, like property taxes, um, tax due to the IRS, and um, like a mortgage payment and stuff, mm-hmm. the secured loans or debts to the estate. But outside of that monthly allowance, your attorney has to go to the court on your behalf to make big expenditures. What are some other tips you have for helping to make that accounting process easier? Well, my number one tip is never commingle the ward's assets with your own. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people feel like, oh, well, I'm just going to HEB, I'll buy the groceries for so-and-so, and then I'll pay myself back. Mm-hmm. Um we try and we want you to restrict that transaction as much as possible because it looks like you're taking money from the ward as opposed to the ward spending the money on their own behalf. And even if it makes sense in the end, explaining it is painful and expensive. Exactly. The more transactions that you do to that, the higher the attorney fees are going to be mm-hmm. um, trying to explain it for you. Because it has to be explained to the judge or to the auditor or to both. Yes, every line of every account for a whole year. <laughs> but Cheryl, oh. I think what, I mean, what Cheryl's saying is really important. So not, I mean, not only is guardianship, you know, guardianship isn't to be taken lightly, but serving as a guardian is not to be taken lightly either. It's a huge responsibility. And I do see where people sometimes have the idea that if they can only get guardianship, all the problems will be solved and everything will be easier. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really a big deal. It is. I tell everybody, being a guardian, especially the guardian of an estate, is a full-time job. Yeah. You, yeah. you really have to be committed to this person to do this job. Mm-hmm. And the same duties would apply if you're acting as agent under power of attorney. You still have a duty to account financially, you just might not have to turn it into the court. Correct. We advise um, everybody that's serving as a power of attorney for somebody to keep the exact same records as if they were a guardian for somebody. Because, because they might have to account for it to somebody someday. Unfortunately, we see it more and more with family conflict is, you, you know, daughter A is serving as power of attorney, but daughter or son four, you know, doesn't agree with how she's taking care of mom. Mm -hmm. So we always say, keep your records. You are accountable. Okay. What are some other tips? Um, Hire a probate attorney. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not every attorney can do guardianship. So hire somebody that knows the laws of guardianship and then hire a good CPA. You, the better team that you build around yourself, the better the ward will be. And so somebody can use uh, software like Quicken or Microsoft Money or QuickBooks, or they can have a CPA to, to keep track of expenditures and, and revenue. Yeah, um, we don't recommend the CPA taking care of the accounting itself. It's um, Like I said, it's still different from the tax reporting. But for them, especially in the higher wealth um, category, there's tax consequences that we have to be aware of um, and plan for in the future. Okay. Any other tips? Um, the best tip that I could say would, would two things. If you are the guardian of an individual, especially somebody that's young with like autism, like we were speaking about, have a plan in place for who's going to take care of them in the event that something happens to you. Um, Talk to your family, have somebody in line that is willing to have that same relationship with the person. And then we've learned so often um, from these situations is pre-plan for yourself, get your estate plan done so that your family doesn't have to go through this with your own incapacity or your eventual death and mm-hmm. they can avoid probate in the court as much as possible. Yeah, the the durable power of attorney was uh, invented to help reduce guardianship. Yes, the court doesn't want you to be in there. 
they are overwhelmed as it is. And if you take advantage of the laws that are in place before you have to get to that point, do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about some proof standards, um, what the court's going to be looking for in order to find somebody incapacitated. Um, They have to find with clear and convincing evidence that the proposed ward is an incapacitated person, and it's in the proposed ward's best interest to have the court appoint a person as the proposed ward's guardian, and the proposed ward's rights or property will be protected by the appointment of a guardian. So, Dr. Schillerstrom, tell us what type of findings on in in the medical record you would look for to show it was clear and convincing. Yeah, so incapacity is defined in Texas state law, mm-hmm. right? So incapacity, an incapacitated person is an adult who, because of a mental condition, is substantially unable to provide food, clothing, or shelter, care for their health care needs, or manage their finances. And, you know, what I just told you is the law, right? I didn't right. make that up. That's actually the law. Yeah, section 1002.017. As, as told by <laughs> Todd Marcourt. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> and so, so, right, so what we're looking for is, so, so first there has to be there has to be clear evidence that a person is essentially substantially unable to care for themselves. If if they're able to care for themselves, if they're getting the job done, if the bills are being paid, if food is on the table, if the light bill and the water bill are being paid, they're going, they're working with their, do- their doctors, it doesn't matter how cognitively impaired you are, you still have capacity because you're still getting the job done. So first we try and figure out, can they, are they getting the job done? Are they taking care of themselves? And if not, then we try and figure out, is there a mental reason for that? And usually it's cognitive impairment. Okay. Thank you for that definition and those insights. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll be talking about legacy and, of course, more about incapacity and guardianship. So stay tuned. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death in taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer, also on podcasts and Facebook Live. Next, you can find me on YouTube, and our segments on YouTube are shorter, easier to to digest when you're walking your dog or, or running around trying to get some exercise in. So this is our fourth segment. You know what that means. And now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. Okay, so a person's legacy is important um, when they're establishing uh, their estate planning. And since Marquardt Law Firm sponsors the show, we like to talk about legacy. Uh, But legacy can often mean more than just a fistful of cash after you're inheriting assets from somebody who's passed away. Sometimes it's values. Sometimes it's um, work ethic. Sometimes it's uh, the moral rules that we live by. Sometimes it's our our faith in in Jesus. And so we like to ask our guests about that. And I'd like to ask you, Dr. Schiller-Strom, what's important to you when you hear the word legacy? 
I think people want to know, you know, how they'll be remembered. You know, what were the contributions they made to the world? How did they make the world a better place, a happier place? And uh, you know, what were you know what what was the contribution? Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. I I think about that for myself too. Um, will people remember that Todd Marquardt uh, guided their their families to? Um, have their affairs in order so that there was less anxiety at the time of, of death. Um, what do you think uh, people will remember you by? Yeah, I hope, um, you know, I, like I told you, I have all these residents in training, right? So I, I think one of my biggest legacies truly is, is the residents, the doctors that I train. Yeah. I'm really proud of that, really proud of, you know, every, every June when we have our graduation and I just see 20 outstanding, psychiatrists graduate and go on to serve the Air Force or or our community, I think that's just, I mean, just truly amazing, really. And, yeah, and that's, that's something a, I'm definitely proud of. And it's very needed. Like mm-hmm. I was telling you before the show that it's hard to find uh, specialists to do these uh, evaluations uh, of someone's medical condition to find out if they have capacity. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's not easy for lawyers and paralegals to see, you know, whether they do or whether they don't because they, they, they can express themselves, they can have a conversation, but maybe they make bad decisions. But, but still, we have the right as U.S. citizens to make bad decisions if we want to. <laughs> as long God as, bless it. <laughs> as long as you're over the age of 18 and as long as you have the capacity to understand what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? That's right. That's right. And I think it's a big responsibility, too, because uh, as we've mentioned before, there's a lot of anxiety in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we need uh, professionals to help reduce anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, you know, I think that's another legacy. I hope that, uh, you know, when I'm gone from this world that people, you know, look back and know that, you know, Dr. Jason Schillerstrom advocated for elders. He advocated to make sure that they were treated fairly, that their, you know, their wishes, their desires were protected and, and, and that they were safe and, and that their legacies were honored too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one of the things that you do is is you help identify if somebody who wrote a will might mm-hmm. have been incapacitated when they when they signed it. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Great. Cheryl, how about you? What do you think about when you hear legacy? Well, for me, it's mine is more on the moral side of everything. Um, I've been raised a Christian, and I believe that we are here to live how God told us to live, and that's full of love for everybody else, including those that are sinners too. Amen. So it's my job to be here and not judge and just help. Oh, you know what? I forgot to uh, mention who the sinners and the saints were. So let me go back to that. Um, The reason I like to talk about sinners and saints is because of a Christian theologian named Martin Luther. He's the one that wrote the 95 Thesis and, and nailed them to the church door in year 1517. He said, the saints are sinners too, but they are forgiven and absolved. So this week, um, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Bear County Judge Peter Sakai. He was uh, mentioned in the newspaper for advocating for uh, remodeling the uh, San Antonio State Hospital to help uh, be a place where... uh, mental health could be treated. And the center of the week isn't really related to guardianship. I just read in the newspaper that um, Christian Alexander Moreno, age 31, and his wife, Abilene Schneider, were arrested and charged with attack by a dangerous dog resulting in death and injury to an elderly person. Shame on you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Keep your dogs uh keep that, your dogs safe, right? That's right. Okay. That's why there's laws for the dogs too. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So I want to go back to proving uh guardianship and uh how important it is for everybody to know that this isn't a one size fit all 
guardianship is the solution of last resort to a problem when somebody doesn't have capacity to make decisions and there's nothing else that can help. So sometimes there are things that can help, like power of attorney or medical power of attorney, and so you should use that. Um, But when somebody is uh, in front of the probate judge and there are questions about capacity because of a medical condition, the, the law requires evidence about whether somebody is incapacitated with regards to deciding where they're going to live, whether they can vote, whether they can operate a motor vehicle, and whether they can get married. And so have you seen, Dr. Schillerstrom, some instances where somebody was incapacitated uh, in one way, but they could still vote or they could still get married or they could still drive? Absolutely. Absolutely, I've seen that. What does that look like? Um, Usually, probably the the most common cases I see like that are when someone is um, unable to manage their finances, but they're able to do everything else. And, 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 And maybe one of the more relatable examples are when you know, elders might fall victim to financial scams, like lottery scams, oh, right. that kind of thing. And they just keep giving their money and their funds are depleted and they're just going to these scammers, these scammers, these scammers. It's terrible. And so, you know, so in cases and, – and they just can't see it any other way. There's, it's a real strong psychology there. And so their children – really do need to serve as the financial guardian but 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 what's also true is that the person is able to provide a safe home they are able to take their medications they are able to drive um they're just not able to see the the predators out there mm-hmm. um you know that are just you know robbing them blinds have you seen that cheryl absolutely and and so in your experience, what what did that look like? What was an example? Um, so unfortunately, the elderly community don't get technology like some of us do. Mm-hmm. And so they start getting the emails from the grandson that's overseas and they need the help. Well, they know, okay, well, I've got to go to the bank. I've got to make this transfer to this account. They still mm-hmm. are able to get to the bank. They're still able to make the request for the transfer but they don't see that they didn't have the whereabouts to call the grandson first and say, hey, are you really overseas? So there is that disconnect. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Schillerstrom, you said there's a strong psychology there uh, when it comes to a scam. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so I guess I'm thinking of lottery scams, for example, where you get called out of the blue and you're told you won the lottery. Mm-hmm. And all you got to do is send a check for $100 to claim your prize. And then they send a check for $100 and they get a call back. Look, you won three, ten million, $10 million, $20 million, mm-hmm. and we got your $100 check, but uh, we got you got to pay this tax, and this tax is fifteen hundred dollars. Oh. And then they send that, and then they get another call later, and they need this much money. And before you know it, the person has given away, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and the psychology is, they're only asking me for another thousand dollars. I've I've given them a hundred thousand dollars already. If I don't give them the check for another thousand, then you know for I get, sure I get nothing. Yeah. But I could get ten million. It's like right. you get sucked in, sucked in, sucked in, and and it's just a really strong psychology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for explaining that. Um, another issue that attorneys run into is uh, somebody with mental health issues, and. Uh, I've I've had prospective clients want me to apply for guardianship, and you know we have to we have to prove that this person is substantially unable to do these things for themselves, but but they can they can do some of those things, um, but the family knows that they're going to stop taking their medication, they're going to be homeless, and they're going to get in trouble with the police. And so 
what are some quick tips <laughs> on how to deal with a, a struggling family member who might have mental health issues? Yeah, these are really difficult cases, right? Right. So is the is the person substantially unable to take care of themselves or are they substantially unwilling? to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And the court only only intervenes if they're unable, okay. right? And so, um, yeah, so I don't know that I have the quick tips that, that, you're, that you're hoping for, but I, I, really what I can do is just empathize for families out there who have loved ones with, you know, schizophrenia, bipolar. Um, there are mental health, uh, you know, mental health powers of attorney that do mm-hmm. kick in if someone is in a mental health crisis. So that might be one path. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, we have to wrap up the show, but I hope you had a good time. I did. Thanks yeah. for having us. Great. Okay, you heard it here on Talk Law Radio. Now, for the person who wanted me to talk about all of the steps of guardianship, that's a really big question, and so we'll be breaking that down for you over the next uh, four to eight weeks. (laughs) So I'll talk to you later. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.